Please remain standing and pray with me. Come Holy Spirit now and enter into this time when the Word of God is opened. I pray, Lord, first of all, for those of us who, who are here for whatever reasons, but are not yet followers of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would give us supernatural power, uh, the prevenient grace to hear your truth and to love it and receive it. And Lord, I pray for uh, those of us who are wavering and, and uh, those of us who are our hearts are divided between the love of God and the love of the world. Make the word of God love you more, please, Lord. Pray for those of us that you're, you're working strongly in our lives right now, and we feel you on a daily basis. Lord God, please do not let us think that this has nothing to do with us. But, Lord, enliven your word in our hearts that we might be salt and light for others that we will meet this week. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, let's talk about your body. Are you uncomfortable yet? Now, this summer, we are in a sermon series on the biblical view of what it means to be a human being. And here is a no-brainer for all of us. We cannot have a conversation about what it means to be human without talking about our bodies. Let me demonstrate this. Everyone here without a body, please raise your hand right now. Thanks, Ty. <laughs> no, Ty has a body. No, we, we have to talk about our bodies. We have to talk about that because here in North America and all over the English-speaking world, and by the way, this just doesn't seem to be a problem in other Western uh, societies that are not Anglophone, English-speaking societies, but... For some reason, here in North America and all over the English-speaking world, we are in the midst of a radical revolution that is redefining what it means to be a human person. And that revolution is redefining our understanding of the human body itself. We are being told that our bodies essentially are meaningless. They don't have any meaning. That ultimately, my inner feelings... My inner life determines who I am, even if my outer physical objective body is telling a different story. And if it is telling a different story than my inner life, I should coerce. In other words, forcibly alter my body to match my inner self, because my outer self doesn't mean anything, and if it does, it means the wrong thing. Now, if we are not informed on the teaching of the scriptures, we are going to be overwhelmed by this revolution and co-opted by its harmful and destructive ideas. I have 30 minutes a week to change the world. I have 30 minutes a week to try to convince you of the truth of God's word. There is 111 and one half hours of the week devoted to the other narrative. And God help us to receive God's word with such compelling force in our lives that it can match the 111 and one-half hours of indoctrination that we have received in the other way. So let's jump right into the text this morning. In the passage from Genesis chapter 1 today, we see that God's, God in, intentionally created us. He intentionally created us as physical, embodied 
gendered creatures. So God created man. Now let's just stop right there. That word man in this particular spot does not mean a male person. It doesn't mean a male man, not a M-A-I-L-E, M-A-I-L, no, 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 there's not an E on it, that's old English. Work it out. No, it doesn't mean a male, M-A-L-E, human being. It means, it, the word in the Greek version of the Old Testament, the, the Septuagint, is anthropos. That's where we get the word anthropology from. And it simply means a human person. So it reads this, so God created the human in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Embodied, engendered people. And then at the end of this passage about creation, this is what it says. Listen, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was. It wasn't good. It was very good. And that's the first time that expression is used in all of the scriptures in Genesis chapter 1, right there at the end of that chapter. And it was very good. It is very good that we have a physical body and that we are made male and female. So here's the first truth that we need to lay hold of. God made us with bodies and said that being made like this was very good, even if we don't go to CrossFit. Even if you are not in the church of Our Lady of Perpetual Circuit Training, your body is always a good thing. Some of us have the false idea that the Christian faith teaches that the body is inherently sinful or shameful and that it would be better off if we did not have bodies at all. I don't know where we got that idea, but if it came from your family of origin or from the ignorant depictions of Christianity in movies or TV shows or books or some uninformed person in your background in Sunday school, you need to know that the idea that the body is bad is not a biblical idea. It is a non-biblical, non-Christian idea. Systems, listen to me, systems of religion or philosophy that denigrate our bodily existence are inherently anti-God and anti-human. Anything that denigrates the body is anti-God and anti-human. C.S. Lewis has written, he wrote this in Mere Christianity, I know some muddle-headed Christians have talked as if Christianity thought that sex or the body or pleasure were bad in themselves, but they were wrong. Christianity is almost the only one of the great religions which thoroughly approves of the body, which believes that matter, that matter is good, that God himself once took on a human body, and that some kind of body is going to be given to us even in heaven and is going to be an essential part of our happiness, our beauty, and our energy. In fact, brothers and sisters, this is critical for us here at Christ Church today because God has set up the world. God has set up this reality, this cosmos, so that you and I would experience Him through our bodies, via our bodies. Christopher West writes, as bodily creatures, in a certain sense, the only way we can experience the spiritual world is in and through the physical world 
in and through our bodies. Listen, brothers and sisters, are you, are you, are you tracking? This is why God gives us the sacraments of baptism and Holy Communion. What do we have in the sacrament of, bab, uh, sacrament of baptism? We use H2O, water. Not imaginary water, but water water, real wet water. Uh, I'm serious. It's, come, it's like Shamu up here. When we, have a, when we baptize a baby, we take a whole naked baby and put them all the way in the water. You didn't know we did that here. We're just, like I said, we are on the cutting edge of 500 A.D. And when we baptize a, a, a person who comes to faith late in life, we take them right outside to the holy horse trough. And we, it is, it's a, no, I'm sorry, it's an agricultural vessel. Uh, but we take them out to that Rubbermaid agricultural vessel and we put them in the water and we put their bodies in the water. Real water touching real bodies. And that's why we have the sacrament of Holy Communion. In Holy Communion, we don't just imagine, even though sometimes that wafer does almost taste imaginary. Uh, but we don't, we're not imagining bread and wine. It is genuine, real bread and genuine, real wine consumed by real people. You are eating a meal, not figuratively, but in reality. You see, the sacraments are the guaranteed thin places where, are you ready, where heaven and earth always overlap. The sacraments are God's means. He gave them to us. Where heaven and earth always overlap. They, it never fails. God always shows up in the sacraments. Not because we're good or special, or we did it right, or the pre priest used a special kung fu move, a kung fu move on them. I know sometimes that's what it looks like. But no, what it is is just that we come here depending on God's faithfulness to his word, and he meets us under these signs of bread and wine and water. The sacramentals are composed of matters. Things like, are there, things like I don't know, uh, marriage and ordination, even those are the guaranteed thin places where God will meet us through the physical world. Again, Christopher West writes, the sacraments are, in, are composed of matter and are God's chosen means by which, through the action of the Holy Spirit, we encounter God's spiritual treasures. In the sacraments, I love this, in the sacraments, spirit and matter, spirit and the material world kiss. I love it. In the sacrament, in the sacraments, the spiritual world and the material world embrace. Heaven and earth embrace in a union that will never end. And then, brothers and sisters, God ups the ante. He turns it up to 11 on the goodness of the body when God himself in Jesus Christ takes on a body. We call that the incarnation. When God puts on a body, what does he do? If, if the body is bad, then the incarnation is blasphemy. But when God puts on the body of a real man in Jesus Christ, he is blessing and making holy and calling very good all that comes with having flesh and bones. Thomas Howard, I love this, this uh 
this passage from a book he wrote back in the 80s, actually. He says, the incarnation takes all that... Okay, you got, uh, please follow this. The incarnation takes... The incarnation, Jesus becoming fully human, takes all that properly belongs to our humanity and delivers it back to us through Jesus, redeemed. All of our inclinations, all of our inclinations and appetites, and capacities, and yearnings, and proclivities are purified, and gathered up, and glorified by Christ. He did not come to thin out human life. He did not come to thin out human life. He came to set it free. All, all listen, all the dancing, and feasting, and processing, and singing, and building, and sculpting, and baking, and merrymaking. My, one of my favorite words in the English language. That belong to us, and that were stolen away in the service of false gods, are returned to us in the gospel. Praise God. See, everything we hunger for, somebody told us, you can't have that. I don't know who, where it came from. But everything that you have ever longed for, God puts a longing deep within us. And we are yearning for something. And we usually try to find a false God to fill it. But brothers and sisters, at their base, those are God-given good desires that have been twisted by the fall. But God redeems those and he says, here, have your passion back. Have your appetites back. Have your desires back. And see when I have touched them and molded them and refined them and purified them. See how much e even better they are. I mean, the fun you can have as a follower of Christ is more fun than you will ever have any other way. I, I know that sounds weird. It's true. And it is my lifelong goal as a, your pastor to prove it to be the case. Uh, we had Amanda and Ty's life group at our house on Friday night. And I went out of my way. To, for, to, here is some merrymaking, y'all. We barely had enough food. <laughs> and as embodied beings, we are also gendered beings. Just as the body is declared good, the gender binary, binary of being made and female is called very good as well. It's right there in that passage in Genesis chapter 1. And the goodness of the male-female dichotomy is reiterated in the gospel text from cha Matthew chapter 19. We just heard read this morning. So when people, what was happening in Matthew 19? Well, some people who were confused and at odds about human sexuality brought their questions to Jesus. And how did he respond? Well, if he was thinking like one of us in the 21st century in North America, he would have responded like this. This is the 111 and one half hours of indoctrination you get all the rest of this week. He would have said, you need to look inward. And when you, and when, and when you encounter your feelings and your desires deep inside, that's where you will find clarity about all those questions that you have. When people were confused, he would have said, if he was talking like a 21st century secular person, those desires, passions, ambitions are your true self, confused people, and it is your duty to express that true inner self no matter what anyone else says. 
But beloved, that is not what Jesus says at all. Instead, he told those confused folks, have you not read, listen, this is Matthew 19, verse 4, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now that phrase, and I'm going to read it again from Jesus, this is the cornerstone phrase for all Christian understanding about gender and human sexuality. It's, and where did it come from? Did it come from mean old Rabbi Paul who don't like women or sex? which, by the way, is only something a genuinely, profoundly ignorant person would say. No, it didn't come from Rabbi Paul. It didn't come from John. It, came from the it didn't come from Peter. It comes from the lips of our Lord Jesus. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's the bedrock of the Christian understanding of why we are made male and female. If we are confused, Jesus says, if you're confused about what you should do, in the case he was being asked about was divorce, Jesus says, look at God's what? Original design and desire. God's original design in the beginning and desire for his human creation and if we do that, we will find out why we have gender in the first place. In other words, in other words, our bodies have a meaning. Your body actually is telling a story. It means something. And that meaning points us to who God is and God's ultimate purpose for you and me. Which is why Paul will say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that we can what? Glorify God in your your body has a purpose, and you can glorify God with it. Remember that in Genesis chapter 1, God said that we are made in his image. So being made male and female in some way, which does not mean that God is either male or female, God is beyond human sexuality, but this is directly linked with our image bearing, okay? So somehow... If we are made male and female in the image of God, somehow we must image, we must reveal something about God in being male and female. Get ready, here comes theology. The theology light is flashing, you know, put on your hard hat, buckle your seatbelts. And here's what one catechism of the Western church says. You've got to follow this, okay? God's, this is about what our bodies mean. This is what our gendered bodies mean. God's very being is love. By sending his only son and the spirit of love in the fullness of time, here it is, God revealed his innermost secret. This is the innermost secret of God. God himself is an eternal exchange of love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he has destined us to share in that exchange of love. So somehow that exchange of love is connected to being made male and female. This is deep stuff. 
in the sexual act of marriage, a husband and wife give themselves away to each other, and in this we are imaging God. If your theology doesn't have room for that statement, you do not have a fully biblical theology. God's design is that bodily expression, is that that bodily expression of love is to be ecstatic, ecstasis, meaning it take, in that moment of love, it takes that man and that woman out of themselves and into the other person. It is an out-of-yourself experience. And that self-giving doesn't diminish. By giving myself away, this is what that first parent, those first parents were to show us, by giving ourselves away in that way does not diminish the man. It doesn't make him less. It doesn't make the woman less. But it is as experienced as joy and pleasure and fullness of being. Now, while not every one of us is called to be married and to have that part as a part of our lives, this still is a part of the imaging of God that God created at the beginning. We can image God in many other acts of self-giving love. This was the primordial means that God gave us. And listen, okay, that was pretty cool, all right, because I was talking about sex. Let me tell you what. You can talk about sex all day long in church anymore. Just don't talk about money. Ooh. All right. <laughs> don't worry, I'm not going to. <laughs> you, can put that, you can take those chains right back off your wallet. It'll be all right. Here's, here's what's really cool. From that bond of ecstatic love, in the normal course of things, proceeds a third person. You have the lover and the beloved, and then that which proceeds from the bond of love is a person. Now, St. Augustine, when he was trying to describe the Holy Trinity, he used, I don't think it's the best. It's not the only analogy. There are other ways of thinking about the Trinity, but it is an analogy. And St. Augustine said, St. Augustine of Hippo said, that the Trinity is like, that there's the lover, the father, the beloved, the son, and the bond of love between them is a person, the Holy Spirit. So that's what's really cool. In the normal course of things, when gendered people come together in that bond of love, there is a third person present, coming, becoming active and real. This human activity of the lover, the beloved, and the person who is the product of their bond of love is a glimpse, therefore, into who God is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Something is revealed about that inner self-giving life of the Trinity. That it, 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 in, it inherently, in self-giving love, it generates life. God's inner life of love in, is the source of God's creation of life. God does not create out of any deficiency or need within God's self. It is an act of complete, unmerited, gracious love. Life comes from love. Now let me kind of nail this down on this point. We use words like gender, generate, genitals. All of those are based on the Latin root gen, G-E-N, and they all have to do with making new life because they all actually mean birth. Gender is talking about 
making life. Here's something else that is revealed in creating us male and female for each other. So God is revealed, but something else about God's reality, God's word is world is revealed as well. God in making us male and female for each other in the bond of covenant love. Here's what's revealed. It shows that self-giving love offered to sinners results in the lover experiencing pain. God's self-giving love to a fallen sinful world in Jesus Christ was experienced as what? A cross. God's self-giving love led to the suffering of Jesus on the cross. Likewise, since we are marrying... Let me, let me just clear this up. Some of you have kind of come to this conclusion. You are marrying a sinner. You are. You know, I want to say this real quick. I wanted to say this last week. I didn't have time for it. And I'm going to write an article I need to follow up on last week's sermon as well. But uh, here's the deal. It is that we all will run around and mouth, oh, we're all sinners. We're all sinners. And then when somebody acts like one, we're shocked. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Oh, we're all sinners. And then when somebody in the church just really lives up to that, is we're offended by that. Or how about this? We, I go around and say, oh, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. And then when somebody calls me out on a sin, I was like, who are you to talk to me about that? I'm offended by it. You're marrying a sinner. But here's the, here's the thing. Likewise, since we are marrying a sinner, just like we are, our self-giving love will also reflect the passion of Christ's suffering in that bond of love. But it will be a suffering filled with hope and confident and joyful fulfillment. So, Archimandrite Emilianos of Mount Athos, he say... It's a real dude, Archimandrite, Elder Emilianus of Mount Athos. I love what he says. He said, this, he preached this as a wedding sermon. He said, remember, from the moment you marry, you will have much pain. You will suffer and your life will be a cross, but a cross blossoming with flowers. And we see that in marriage. It reveals the way God's self-giving love encounters a sinful world. And by suffering in love, we bring redemption. And the third thing is that our gendered bodies also reveal something about God's desire to be united, listen, to be united fully in spousal love to his human creation. So St. Paul says this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. It may be the key verse for understanding why our gender, our human gendering teaches us something about God's future intention for us. Paul writes this, uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so we think we're talking about human marriage, but this is what, what he follows up with. This is a mystery. This is, Paul says this mystery is profound. It's a deep mystery. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Again, back to Christopher West. This passage from Ephesians 5 is a key text, perhaps the key text, for understanding the body and sexuality theologically. Christ is the one who it was sent by his Father in heaven. He also left the home of his mother on earth. Why? To give up his body for, the, for his bride, the church. So that we 
might become one flesh with him. Okay, this is, oh, listen. Where do we unite sacramentally with Christ? In a most profound way in the Eucharist. When all the confusions are cleared and the distortions are untwisted, the deepest meaning of human sexuality, of our creation as male and female, and our call to communion is Eucharist. God created us male and female right from the beginning to live in a holy communion that foreshadows the holy communion of Christ and the church and in turn the gift of Christ's body to his bride celebrated at this table sheds definitive life on the meaning, meaning of a man and woman's communion. Uh, I told this story at the beginning of this series. I'm going to tell it very quickly. Uh, Christopher West was talking about his, uh, his father-in-law. He never met his father-in-law, but his, uh, his mother-in-law told his wife and him the story of their, the mother-in-law and father-in-law's wedding night, their honeymoon night. And the very next day, when they came, to, they came to church, the church was the next day, they went to church and they received Holy Communion. And as this newlywed couple are sitting side by side in the pew, the husband hunches over and begins to heave racking sobs. And his wife, this brand new of one day wife, turns to him and says, Darling, what is wrong? What is wrong? And he says, I think, I think, thinking of his honeymoon night, I finally have a little bit of the understanding of what Jesus means when he says, this is my body given for you. This is my body given for you. Communion is what we are made for. God's ultimate purpose is to be as united to you and me, his human creation, in love as husband and wives are when they come together to be one flesh. And I know this to be true because God's word, Revelation 19, the end of the book, the culmination of all the story that has come before it. We began in a garden with a marriage and we end this whole book in a marriage celebration, the marriage of the Lamb. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of a mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It has been granted her to, to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And the angel said to me, write this down, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. God wants to marry his human creation. That deep union. Now, beloved, listen. That's glorious. But, there, but here's the problem. And this is a pastoral statement. If this if this is why God made us with gendered bodies, then what if my inner... Listen carefully. What if my inner sense of who I am doesn't match my body? What if I or someone I really care about feels uncomfortable with the gender they were born with or maybe even profoundly incompatible with the gender that was determined genetically at the moment when they were conceived? I have, 
I have gone long already in this sermon, but we need to close with a pastoral word for those of us who feel disconnected and mismatched with the sex of our physical bodies. This is a real thing. I don't have nearly enough time to get in, into great, careful detail, but that's why I'm your pastor. You can talk to me anytime you want to about this. First of all, if you are that person, or if you love someone who is that person, who feels disconnected or disoriented from the body they were born in when it comes to gender, you need to know that we accept that those feelings are real and that the struggle and even suffering that this can create is real as well. It's real. We believe you. But most of all, you need to know that you are safe and you are welcomed here at Christ Church. You, did you know that you are in exactly the right place this morning, if that's you? God has put you in exactly the right place. We want you here, and we, if you will let us, will stand with you and walk beside you. But even better than that, you need to know that you are loved, passionately loved by God that you, no matter how you feel in your body this moment, you are, you are now, not in the future, not sometime if you can ever get everything fixed so that you feel oriented correctly with your gender. You are, in this very moment, the image of God. You are cherished and wanted by God more than you have the ability to even imagine. Did you know that? That right now, you... He is not ashamed of you. He doesn't think, hey, look, every one of us is disordered. Everybody in this room. We all just do it in our own certain special way. Now, our culture does say that you have to frantically search your inmost self to find out who you really are in order to, to experience fulfillment and happiness. But Jesus tells us that our true selves are a gift given to us from God. And that if we will follow Jesus, we will find our true self and we will have abundant life. Then Jesus, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone, no, not just people who experience gender dysphoria, not just people who are broken in other areas of their sexuality, by the way, that only includes a set of everyone. Everyone. Nobody is off the hook. He didn't, he didn't say some people. He said, if anyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, every one of us, and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. In other words, if you try to clutch it and re reach deep within, you're going to lose it. It's just like a dog chasing his tail. He chases and chases, but never catches it. But if... <laughs> But if he just stops and goes, it'll follow right along behind him. Somehow that made sense. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses, releases his life to me, his life for my sake, will find life. The life that is truly life. Now, if you are a young person who feels like your body doesn't match your gender, you need to know that the best studies of gender dysphoria show that somewhere between 80 and 95% of youth who express a discordant gender identity will come to identify with their bodily sex if natural development is allowed to proceed. So if you want some just pastoral counsel, 
Don't do anything precipitous. Don't do anything rash. Don't lock yourself in ideologically or chemically or surgically. Just take it one day at a time and be whoever you are with us and we will love you. But for those of us who are far beyond our youthful years and who find this gender dysphoria to be an ongoing issue, then offer this up to God as being united to the sufferings of Christ. And hope in the resurrection. The body, listen, that you have now will be fully redeemed, glorified, and exalted on the day of resurrection. It will have continuity with the body that you are in right this minute. It is, in some way, still your body right now. And on that day of resurrection, you will finally and perfectly be at home, fully alive and completely connected and at peace with your body. Every single one of us has some motivation to hope for the bodily resurrection of the dead. I want to, I, I just, I, there's so much, especially as I'm getting older, that I'm ready for it not to be that way anymore to shed those pains and aches and disordered affection. Every one of us this morning has the, has the struggle that what our bodies want right now and God's, what God's original good purpose and desire for our bodies was do not match. And since all of us have had our sexuality, our gender turned away from God's good purpose, the resurrection is good news. It is good news that we proclaim every Sunday, and if you remember it, you can say it with me. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's make that